So, Birthright. Um, what do I say about this one? <laughs> I'm going to go and admit that by memory, I don't care for either of these episodes all that much. And looking at it from the perspective of the behind the scenes, I can kind of see why. But I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But what I want to mention first of all is, why is this a two-parter? Well, the answer is obvious. They had this Worf story. They really wanted to do this Worf story about Worf identifying as a Klingon, just on the off chance that he happened to forget that he's a Klingon. And so they really wanted to focus on this, and they're like, yes, of course, but wait, that's too big. It's too big of an episode to fit into one episode. We, we need a B-plot. Uh, or Actually, I'm sorry, I'm saying that in the wrong order. We need a second episode. So they're like, yeah, okay, we'll stretch it up to two episodes. And that was seen as a positive thing. Remember, as I've talked about many times, a two-parter is cheaper to make than two one-parters, just because of the nature of how television production works. Actually, funnily enough, this ended up not being cheaper, mostly because of the construction of it, but it's just getting ahead of ourselves. So they're like, okay. We're going to do a two-parter. We'll have the bigger budget to work with. We're going to make it work. Okay. Wait, this isn't enough for two episodes. Crap. Now we need a B-plot. So the big the big writing staff, which at this point was Shankar, uh, Braga, Moore, uh, Echeverria, and Taylor, all got together and they're like, what do we do? And then Braga was the one who wildly, randomly suggested the idea, well, what about how Data having a religious experience? Now, what's funny is everyone seemed to like that idea, but then someone was like, well, hang on, we're doing tapestry. Oh, yeah, yeah, we don't want to, okay, well, we need to do something else. And so all of them just kind of, until they finally came up with this random idea of, maybe Data starts dreaming as a continuation, as a development of his character and his entity, his species, if you will. Everyone liked that idea. So they're like, yes! Now, before I go any further, of the two plots, which do you prefer? Like, which do you like better? The Worf plot, which carries forward in Part 2, or the Data plot, which is terminated in Part 1? And copyrighted. I prefer the Data plot. Which amuses me tremendously, given how thrown together at the last minute it was. But I think the reason I prefer it is, regardless of its construction, it makes perfect sense. Soon left certain parts of data un unconnected until something triggered them. Now, by all accounts, it seems like they were triggered by accident, like he hadn't actually developed to that point yet. But the idea here was that he would develop. This also then implies that there's more past this, that there are more aspects of his existence which will be able to be unlocked in the future. And this unlocks a new facet of his character for future episodes, which will actually be followed through on, um, I don't remember the name of the episode, Cellular Peptide Cake. You probably know the one I'm talking about. So this was actually a really good move. It unlocked a new avenue of storytelling for the character and helped push the character forward in his development. Yes, absolutely. The Worf stuff does none of that, <laughs> but I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm actually going to talk about the Worf stuff first because I have the least to say about it. Although, I do have to say one thing. Now, obviously, since the... Um, uh, what We Left Behind documentary has come out, and they did a, br did a brief thing of doing an HD upscaling of DS9 and blah, blah, blah. But other than that, this is the first, last, and only time we actually see Deep Space Nine in full HD. 
Seriously, go rewatch it. I'm going through the Blu-rays for this, if it's not obvious. And it looks good. <laughs> like, it looks real good. I actually was like, damn. Like, there's several shots of the station. You get several interior shots. Yeah. C can we have that, please? No, of course we can't, because there's no money in it. <laughs> Anyways. So, DS9 crosses over, of course. Uh, this was actually supposed to be Dax. Apparently, Terry Farrell was pretty upset about this, too, which doesn't surprise me, given everything I have recently discussed when it comes to the episode Tears of the Prophets, which uh, I don't think has actually gone live yet, but it'll come up pretty soon relative to this episode going live. So just be ready for that one, because that's going to be a doozy. <sighs> Either way, this episode in production order was happening right about the time of Move Along Home. Yes, that one. The episode that was so bad on repeat, re repeat viewing, I actually gave it a lamentation status. And I stand by that. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> God, when we get to Season 7 of TNG, there might actually be lamentations. I'll just be warned. I mean, we've got masks coming up, for God's sake. Anyways, off topic, off topic. Point being, you remember how Bashir was like, ah, ah, and then he woke up? Yeah, so um, he's in this episode instead. Which, it's funny, because he's actually a decent addition here. Now, Dax would have made more sense for the role that is being portrayed, because... Okay, I'm about to spoil Deep Space Nine, but I can't talk... I can't talk about this without talking about this, okay? So this is a spoiler for Deep Space Nine, okay? So the off chance you haven't watched that, this is your chance to mute me for like a minute or so, okay? Dax noticing the little details of Data makes sense. Bashir makes sense, too, but only in hindsight. Because at the time, it doesn't really make a lot of sense for Bashir to be the one to pick up on those things. Unless we notice that he's genetically engineered and would be both smart and observant enough to notice such little things that most other people don't really latch on to. So. <laughs> Anyways. <clears throat> moving on. It's so weird to see Bashir being this young, by the way. Obviously, I'm doing these, you know, sequentially. So, like, I'm doing Season 6 TNG at the same time I'm doing Season 6 DS9 even though I know they actually line up more like this. But I'm seeing Bashir, and I just finished an episode of Season 7 last week of DS9, and I'm like, God, he looks so young. And what's with that hair? Anyways. Then we have James Cromwell show up. I actually didn't know that was Cromwell as Shrek. Yes, he plays a character named Shrek. We're walking, we're walking. And it's a damn shame, because Cromwell's a good actor, and he is completely and thoroughly wasted here in this role. He also has basically no relevance in the second part, although that's because Cromwell himself had a major accident, so he couldn't show up. But anyways, but oh my god, Moog is alive, and Worf is super upset. I'm pretty sure, see, I was about to say at least Troy is, I was going to make a joke here, that Troy is using the years and years of, you know, <laughs> analysis and, and experience dealing with, with the minds and emotions of people to understand that Worf is, is upset. Or maybe she actually sensed it. Or maybe she had eyes that were functional at the time, because anyone in the universe could tell that Worf is just really upset about this. And that makes sense. After all, as he mentions, this is something that would bring him shame for three generations. Alexander, who's never probably never even heard of Moog, would be shamed by this. if they, God, click on culture, I swear to God. Anywho... <clears throat> So he talks about this great bit. There is a very good scene for the Worf stuff, and it's when he's talking to Data, and he admits he's talking about himself, and your father's a part of you, and you owe it to yourself to find your father, and blah, blah, blah. Even if there was shame, you know. 
that's actually interesting because the point here is that Worf is trying to embrace Klingon culture, and in so doing, he denies it by actively seeking out his father, even knowing the shame it would bring. Which is, you know, and in I'm I'm saying this because in part two we'll find out that he had no intention to kill Moog if he was there. Now that's relevant because um, the premise for Birthright, the Worf story, was Worf becoming more Klingon, as I already mentioned, which he demonstrates by becoming less Klingon. Um, <clears throat> also. I just want to mention this before I forget. Do you notice that it's Libby in the Klingon camp? The actress who plays Libby, if you don't even know who that is, I'm not going to clarify, is the same woman who plays Bael. Just interesting. All right, so enough of the story and boring stuff. Let's go over to the data stuff. Unfortunately, I, there's not much to talk about here either. This is mostly the unlock. We'll have more to talk about with data dreaming in the future. Um, I do like how they specify some aspects of how data works. We're in season six, but we're starting to specify things like the fact that he does generate hair. That whatever he intakes, probably raw energy from what we've seen, has the ability to actually make hair grow if he chooses to. It also means he could lose hair, given, given where that goes. It also means uh, he's got a respiratory system. You know, he's got a pulse, because a circulatory system is actually extremely useful. Um, for, I, I don't even feel the need to explain that. Like most actual machines do have some kind of circulatory system as long as they're a closed, uh, what do they call that? <sighs> like it's a closed circuit or what? Nah, that's the wrong term. In other words, they need some way to manage things internally. So this is a way to get resources and energy and all that from point, one, point A to point B internally, duh. He also has a respiratory system. This also makes perfect sense. I'm going to go ahead and admit something. I once wrote a story set in Mega Man that talked about the respiratory system of the Androbots in that story. And I, I wrote that in high school, so that would have been after this episode went live. I don't remember the respiratory thing, but the way I, they describe it is almost exactly how I describe it. So either it's the same idea, which is a logical idea, or I was inspired by this and didn't actually realize it. But when I, re when I was re-watching this, I was like, wait, that's how I did you? What the hell? <laughs> But Star Trek was there first. Gotta, gotta admit that. Because it makes sense. It's a coolant system. Air is a wonderfully useful coolant, right along with water. Now, I, I love how Data just stands right in front of this unknown device they're activating. You notice they never solve that mystery, by the way. They never figure out what the hell the device is. That's not the point, of course, but it's just interesting that they leave that completely dangling. You know what would have been really cool and would never happen in the 90s? But what would have been really cool is if the next episode of Deep Space Nine, the device is there and Bashir talks about what it is. Just kind of tying the two together. <clears throat> so it is Bashir who suggests dreaming. And Data's like, okay, I'll approach it like a dream. So first... He analyzes other people's cultures like, oh, how do I deal with this? What I love most about this is his conversation with Picard. Picard says, well, but you have a culture. You are a culture of one, but that is still just as valid as a culture of a billion. I like that. Because it gets a, in something like Star Trek, we can have truly unique entities, even though there's actually... Uh, three other data androids walking around at this point in history. But let's ignore that for a moment. Let's just ignore that for a moment. Even if data was truly unique, that doesn't mean he's not a culture. That doesn't mean he's not a people. 
That doesn't mean he doesn't approach things and perceive things in his own way for his own reasons. He can look to other things for inspiration, but ultimately what it means to him is what really matters, and that's Picard's point. I like that. I like that a lot. Now, then he goes to paint, and you can kind of follow the train of thought as he paints, which is kind of cool in its own right, which leads to, of course, the actual dream. This, of course, is soon... It's, this is just good stuff. I don't have much to say about it. It's soon just explaining the dream protocol being unlocked and gushing about it to Data. I mean, I mean if Tony Stark can, can have the, the training wheels protocol for Spider-Man, I'm pretty sure soon could have a dream protocol for Data. I'd like to think he's a little more advanced. I could be wrong. I, there's a really nice bit, which is probably unintentional, but there's this bit where he's asking, what does what's the bird mean? I don't understand. And he, Data looks up as he hears a bird call, and he sees the panels of the ceiling of the bridge of the Enterprise. And the way they're stylized make them look like a bird's wing, which is just really cool, because we look at that as the bird is calling. Just a nice little touch. And, of course, I, I just have to imagine what kind of dreams Data would have with the kind of perfect memory he has. Most of our dreams are extremely vaguely defined and kind of roughly crammed together by our the nature of who and what we are. I've, I've talked before about the concepts, concepts like dream logic, where things make perfect sense in the dream and are actually incredibly illogical once you're out of it. You know, just weird random stuff like that. How the heck does that work for data, I wonder? Because his dreams seem to be entirely associative, which is fine. After all, you got to figure how do you affix dreams to an entity like this. Maybe that's the only way he could figure out to do it. It's still a cool concept. And it makes me wonder... Like, there's this bit where we see... He, you're the bird, and he flies through the Enterprise, and he flies out of the Enterprise. And we kind of zoom in on the Enterprise. And this is going to sound really strange, but Data's knowledge of the Enterprise, his, his understanding of it and its specs and, its, and all that detail, is so incredibly detailed that he could, in his, he could, in his dreams, as he could in his imagination, literally picture what it feels like to fly over the surface of the Enterprise-D, which, I don't know about you, but that sounds really cool to me. We could picture that right now. I bet you could close your eyes right now. I bet you know the Enterprise-D, the Galaxy class, well enough to picture flying along its surface. But our memories are, are sufficiently, uh, I guess, insufficiently perfect. Now compare, let's imagine you have truly perfect memory. You know every inch of that hull. Now imagine imagining it. Imagine how much different that would be for someone with that kind of memory. Just, just there's some possibilities there. It's a shame they don't really do much with the dream thing going forward. For all I praise the idea, they don't really do much with it. They do a couple of things. In fact, I think literally two. It's still cool, and I still think it was a good move. And then the episode ends, oh my god, the Romulans have shown up. Da, 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 da. Now we'll talk about the war stuff. Uh, next week, of course, because obviously I'm not going to talk about it this week, because this is mostly the data episode. No, the Wharf episode is next week. So, see you there, Kapla? Or what's the Romulan version of Kapla? Um, infinite expansion!